that suit seemed entirely too easy to take off once she was in the air pressurized place. Like, can't, what if you accidentally hit that latch when you're out in space? Oh my goodness, <laughs> no. <laughs> This is episode 64 of the Movie Bite Podcast, where we discuss, praise, lament, or lampoon movies, TV shows, and more. Today is Wednesday, October 9th, 2013. I'm your host, TJ. And here with me, being pulled in by the gravity of our show, which keeps him from being flung into the unending void, is Chad Hopkins. Hello, TJ. Hello, Chad. How are you? Doing all right. Good, good. I hear you're staying busy. I am staying busy. You know, school and band and whatnot. Yeah. Well, uh, I noticed you've been uh, posting like a madman over on Chad Likes Movies. Yes, I'm finally starting to catch up. I'll be writing another couple reviews tonight, and I'm almost almost caught up with everything from the summer. Good. Good. Yeah. I haven't had a chance to read your Gravity review. I know I asked you to read mine, so I know you read mine because you proofread it for me. Uh, but I, I, I haven't had a chance to read your Gravity review. I didn't want it to taint my review at the time either, you know, when I saw it. Right. Yeah, so, I'm the I'm the same way. So no worries. Yeah, although I had listened to a podcast about gravity, uh, you know, but I, you know, I, I don't know. I go back and forth on let's listen. So do I want do I want to listen and and you know read a few things and say oh yeah that was what I thought about this or that or do I want it to be completely pure? I, I go back and forth on that thing. Yeah. Anyway, well, you want to talk about a couple of movie st- things tonight? Sure. All right. Uh, this is likely to be. Um, I don't know if it'll be a shorter show or not. It's likely to be a little shorter show because I only have two items of interest in the show notes and we don't have to have a meta conversation this week. And then we only have, you know, a a tiny little nothing of a movie to review. So, (laughs) um, so, uh, one does not simply make one Hobbit movie, do they, Chad? No, they don't. Yes. Uh, according to Boromir, uh, the Hobbit trilogy (laughs) has cost $561 million to date. This is, uh, I don't have the figures exactly in front of me, but I think this is something like on the order of uh, two and a half times more than it costs to make the entire trilogy of The Lord of the Rings. Wow. That's that, ins- it's insane. It's it's insane. And I'll I tell you, this this is kind of an interesting conversation to me. It's kind of why I put this in the show outline. Uh, the conversation to me is one that more money does not equal better films because The Hobbit the first Hobbit movie in no way lived up to my expectations. Sure. I don't know. I don't know about you. I, you weren't, uh, let's see, you were not uh, on the podcast. I, I get lose track of time. No, that was, that was before we started having you on the podcast when we had that ensemble of four people to talk about the Hobbit. Yes, but I did listen to that episode and I, I enjoyed the Hobbit. I think I gave it three and a half or four stars. I, I enjoyed it, but it, it wasn't as good as it could have been. Right, yeah, and I gave it three and a half stars. I believe I reviewed it, uh, and I know I gave it three and a half stars in the podcast, and I believe I wrote a written review. Um, and, and that's the thing, like, you know, I feel like what's happened here is that uh, Peter Jackson, you know, he can do whatever he wants now, and that's not necessarily a good thing. Like, one right. of the things that kind of um, makes you be creative and well okay let me back up a lot of times i've noticed this a lot i've noticed this in my own field of work i've noticed it when you know when i was at a small film company i noticed it i've noticed it in in a lot of different areas of life when you have constraints that you must work within it forces you to be more creative it forces you to do better work 
Um, and, and some of the most creative people I know do worse when they don't have constraints in place. And I feel like Peter Jackson's the, the kind of the, the leash has been taken off and he can do whatever he wants. He can, uh, he can kind of throw his, uh, the weight of his Lord of the Rings trilogy around and, and say, look what I made now, let me do whatever I want. And they kind of give him whatever they want. And, and it's been pointed out. And I agree that yes, uh, financially, ultimately the Hobbit will be extremely successful. The Hobbit trilogy will be extremely successful over its lifetime, but it it's just frustrating to me. I don't know. What do you think? I, I agree. And I know you and Joe have had this conversation in past episodes where, um, it, it does cause you to be more creative when you don't have endless amounts of money to throw left and right at this and that. And um, just looking at The Hobbit versus the original uh, Lord of the Rings trilogy, for example, um, something that I thought that The Hobbit suffered from was uh, too much CGI. Agreed. I, I, I thought that it was hard to watch sometimes, especially in the higher uh, frames per second uh, screening. Um, where it, it just looked almost too tar- too cartoony, and like the goblins or the orcs, how, whatever you want to call them, for instance, yes. weren't as scary this time around. And looking back at the original trilogy, they're terrifying because they're real. And yeah. I don't, I don't get the same thing with the Hobbit. And there are other little instances of that here and there. And I, I just think it could have been a better film if he had been forced to be a little bit more reserved with his choices. Well, and you know, I go back to some of the better films where. They, they didn't have the budget to show uh, – I mean, for instance, as you're pointing out, Peter Jackson had the budget and the CGI and the technology to show these big, wide scenes of of CGI characters, and you can tell it. It just doesn't have a realistic flavor to it. And this is this, – I suppose this is a little bit ironic since we're going to be talking about a film today that was probably mostly CGI. <laughs> um, but it, this CGI, I mean, it really felt cheap and uh, – you know, and it's just kind of come to the forefront because, you know, the second Hobbit film is about to come out and, you know, the some figures have been released. 561 million, Chad. 561 million, and that's to date. They still have more money to spend on these things. Uh, that's a lot of millions. That's that's crazy. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's bloated. And that's, you know, and again, for, a, for a, a first installment, I mean, I'm hoping the second one maybe will be better. I don't know. But for a first installment, and the Hobbit, you know, trilogy that didn't really inspire me and didn't really say, oh, man, I'm so glad they made this. I mean, that wasn't it. And, and I know three and a half stars is not a bad rating that I gave it. But at the same time, when you compare it to there's not a single Lord of the Rings film that I wouldn't rate at least four stars. Right. All three of those films and, and the Return of the King is at least a four and a half. Maybe it's a five. I don't know. Um, right. And, and then you compare and you say, well, the Hobbit was such a letdown. I mean. Things like um, uh, what what is the uh, orc that's supposed to be dead at this point who's coming back in the second film? Um, the the big bad guy with the missing arm. I'm trying to think. It's like Azog, Azog, or something. Yeah, Azog or something like that. And he looks so yeah. poorly rendered. Like, wh- wh- why didn't they take the time to render him out properly? I mean, it just looks like he didn't have enough passes from the renderer. Yeah, you know, I don't I, know. You know, I even thought about thought that about Gollum in that scene just a little bit it wasn't as as prominent eh, I, I guess I, I actually thought Gollum was a little better than he was in Lord of the Rings I, I, I actually thought that they did a good job with Gollum but but you know it was kind of a mixed bag for me on the CGI like right. some of it was great and some of it was terrible and uh, you, yeah anyway I, I don't want to dwell here too long because the film's not out yet and I'm sure we'll have plenty to say when it comes out uh, oh, sure. the, the second film in the trilogy but 
it's it just feels it doesn't feel the same and and i know i'm gonna get flack for this i know people are gonna send me emails uh yeah, uh, you know, you you feel free to email me info at moviebyte.com. Uh, um <laughs> and and I'll be glad to engage with you on the subject, but I just it's just frustrating. Yeah, uh, and I, for the record, I agree with you, TJ. <laughs> I, I mean I am looking forward to the film. Don't get me wrong. I mean, what 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 geek or nerd or whatever you want to call us, uh which one of us aren't? But um yeah. Okay, so so oh, oh I do have the numbers right here in front of me. I just wasn't looking in the right place. The original trilogy reportedly cost two hundred eighty one million. The Hobbit trilogy has cost five hundred sixty one million so far. All right, let me do some math. Two eighty one. Uh, okay, so not two and a half times. Uh, so two eighty one times two is five hundred sixty two. So it's a little over two times, just a little over two times, and that's to date. And that was for the uh, Lord of the Rings trilogy, which is inherently, in my opinion, a more epic trilogy and deserved a little more. You know, if if you're going to spend more on on a set of films, the original trilogy, Lord of the Rings, would have been probably the better place to spend that money right <laughs> um and I, i'd like to again point out that uh the original trilogy was based on three books and now the hobbit trilogy trilogy is based on one book that is probably half of the length of the shortest lord of the rings book yeah i mean that's another point is uh you know they're talking about the extended version of the first uh hobbit <laughs> what, what was the first one called um uh, um uh unfor- Unexpected Journey? The Hobbit and Unexpected Journey, yes, thank you. And this one coming out is called The Desolation of Smaug. Um, so The Hobbit and Unexpected Journey, uh, they're talking about releasing the extended edition, and I'm sitting here going, didn't we get that in the theater? Because nobody was making <laughs> the hard choices, and the, the film was like two hours and 36 minutes long or something like that? I mean, wow, come on. We have yeah. the extended editions, and, and don't get me wrong, again, I love the extended edition of Lord of the Rings, but I felt like we already have that with the with the theatrical cut of The Hobbit. So, yeah, that definitely bl- feels very bloated. Feels really bloated. Agreed. You know, and, and, and especially compared to the film we'll be reviewing uh, in just a few minutes, uh, which was only an hour and a half, which was refreshing to me. It was very refreshing. Yeah. Let's see if there's anything else here. Uh, da, 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 da. I did say in my article, Jackson has always gravitated toward excesses of filmmaking, and having a tight reining in on the Lord of the Rings trilogy was the key ingredient in the recipe for great filmmaking. He needs that tight leash again. You know, Fizz, who's been on the podcast before and will be again in the coming weeks, uh, he says, the movie already covered the cost of the entire trilogy. I thought The Hobbit was pretty good and I'm excited about the next two. I don't see how having less money would change any of the things that most people nitpick about the first movie. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of disagree with that, but that's that's his opinion. So, all right, well, let's let's move on. We have one more thing before we talk about Gravity, and that is the Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit trailer. Have you had a chance to watch this? Yes. And I'm trying to remember, I, I, I get confused about the timeline. Uh, did we talk about that on the last podcast or did I talk about that on the wrap? Uh, of, I'm sorry, I should, I should bring you up to speed on my frame of mind here. Tom Clancy having passed away. Yes, we did mention it on last week's podcast. Okay, I thought we did. I wasn't sure. So we won't, we won't spend too much time there. But uh, did we talk about the Shadow Recruit trailer? I don't no. think that I was think out. I think you posted that the next day. Yeah, I think so. All right, so... Um, and, and the, the interesting thing is that this is not the Jack Ryan that we've ever known. Uh, this is a complete reboot, and it's kind of changing the story about Jack Ryan. It's kind of changing what he is, who he is, and what he does. Um, how familiar are you with any of those novels? Unfortunately, not. Uh, not really familiar at all. Okay. Did you do the homework I assigned to you? <laughs> 
Um, no. Uh, if, if it was to watch a movie, then, then no. I, I don't remember if I actually... Uh, I remember assigning you some homework or other uh, in, in jest <laughs> last week. I don't remember if that was it or not. But, um, yeah, so, so essentially Jack Ryan has always been a CIA analyst who happens to find himself in these situations uh, that come up uh, occasionally. But he... he uh, I believe he was in the army or the navy i think it was the navy i think he was in the navy if i'm getting my story straight and he was injured and now he's a cia analyst but then he finds himself in these situations uh where he's in peril and trying to deal with them well in this trailer uh he is he was a cia analyst and he's sort of uh now become according to what we can tell from the trailer a uh operative uh you know who's in the thick of the action uh secret agent if you will and uh-huh. uh, I don't know how I feel about that because I liked the um, I, I liked the way it was before. I guess. Yeah. What did you think of the trailer, though? Just as uh, standalone, I guess. Since you it have didn't no really other context, it, it didn't really interest me. And then looking into it and looking into the character a little bit, um, something that already bothers me a little bit about this film is that it's the first of these Tom Clancy Jack Ryan novel or uh, movies that's not based on a Tom Clancy novel. That's right. Um, and you know, I, th- I think I'm, I, I sort of have mixed feelings. Sometimes I think, you know, this literary character should have adventures on the big screen, maybe that aren't adaptations, but sometimes I do think that, um, if you're going to make a film version with a character or a film with a certain character that was in a book, then base it on the book. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I, I agree. And there's plenty of books that haven't been explored. I have not read any of them. Actually, I was gonna say I hadn't read them all. I actually haven't read any of them. What I know from right. Jack Ryan is just from my, you know, from the movies and from knowing the things that I've read about the books. Um, so I, I do have plans to read the books because they, they, I think they would be very interesting to me. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's just a little frustrating. Like they're, they're what, you know, what, what, what modern audiences crave, I think is, or what they think modern audiences crave anyway, is the, you know, the action shaky cam, uh, you know, superstar type, uh, you know, he's out there doing, they don't want the CIA analyst who gets thrust into situations, I guess. And and they're just, I, I, I think guess. they're just going for amping up the action. Frankly though, I mean, I don't see why they still couldn't do that and still have kept the Jack Ryan character more true to the Jack Ryan character. Yeah. So, uh, something worth mentioning is that it's directed by Kenneth Branagh, who, um, yes. was Gilderoy Lockhart in the Harry Potter films. And he also directed Thor. He directed Thor, uh, let's see. He's been in a few things here and there. Uh, yeah. I mean, for me, of course, the most, uh, uh, famous role would be, uh, just because I've, you know, into the Harry Potter series would be, uh, Gilderoy Lockhart. But let's see. I know, I know he's been in some other things. Was he, did he actually have any role in Thor? Cause usually when he directs, he has some role or other. No, he didn't. Okay. Um, I'm looking here it seems like there was something, that uh, that he was in, of course, Harry Potter Chamber of Secrets. Yeah, unfortunately, even though he was in the book, Gilderoy Lockhart was in the fourth book. I believe it was the fourth book. Uh, he wasn't in the movies anymore. So no. Of course, one of the things Kenneth Branagh is known for is uh, Hamlet. Uh, well, all, all of his Shakespeare adaptations. He he did a whole bunch in the eighties and nineties. Yep. Nineties. Yep. I guess the one I haven't actually seen all the whole movie. I've seen part of it, but the Hamlet was the one that came to mind. So, yeah. 
Anyway, yeah, uh, and he is going to be. It looked like he was going to have a prominent role in this film as uh, as one of the um, enemy spies, perhaps, or something like that. Some Russian, anyway. Which was interesting uh-huh. to hear him speaking in a Russian accent. That was kind of a little, a little weird. <laughs> oh, I didn't feel yeah. like he was pulling it off very well, frankly, in the trailer. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, we'll see. I mean, I, you know, speaking of Kenneth Branagh, I didn't really care for his directorial uh, efforts with Thor. So I don't know what that says about this film. This is a yeah. different type of film, but I, I just felt like much of his humor in in the directorial sense fell flat in Thor, and it didn't complement the Marvel universe very well. So, yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting. You know, Chris Pine, Captain Kirk as uh, Jack Ryan. You know, so who yeah. knows? Maybe there's something there. All right, well, let's uh, let's move on to our main review. In the interest of uh, keeping the show shorter these days, uh, we'll talk. Uh, move on and talk about Gravity. What do you say? Sounds good to me. All right, so Gravity hit the theaters on October the fourth. It had a budget of eighty million. It opened to the tune of fifty five point seven million, and worldwide total gross thus far, in factoring in foreign monies, is ninety six point eight million. So they're on the track to make a good uh, bit of money with this film. I have a feeling, uh, Chad, that um, over the uh, next week or so, that I, I, I mean, I have not heard one bad thing about this film, so I have a feeling that people are going to tell their friends that they need to go see it, and so I have a feeling it's going to do pretty well this weekend, too. I mean, it's just, I haven't seen any projections, and I could be way off, but that's my gut feeling. Yeah, I think this is going to be one of those films that has incredible word of mouth, Um promotion yeah well i mean just even look at it on rotten tomatoes still the the uh the uh tomato meter is sitting at 97 percent. your critics just hardly have anything bad to say about it i mean i went down right. here and i, I re- it's like the only critics who have something bad to say about it are the ones who are contrarians like everything like they're always like saying bad things about films you know right and and uh you know the audience is sitting at 90 percent. i mean it's almost nearly not not quite but it's nearly unheard of for th- for the critics and the audience to be in so much agreement and to have everything so high in the ratings you mm-hmm. know and and it's, uh I'm, I'm right there with them too i mean i i really enjoyed it same here it's got a 100 percent with the top critics on rotten tomatoes yeah right all the top all the all the trusted critics and and the ones that you you know, you you know that they'll they'll feel free to to rag on a film if it needs it, but they're not like the contrarians that always poorly. You know, um, it's just kind of like when I, and I don't even know why I'm still my RSS feeds, why I still have them in my RSS feeds. But film.com. Every time I see a review on film.com, I'm like, oh, if I want a bashing of a film, I'll go there. <laughs> um, you know, and so they'll pop up in my RSS feeds. They they like almost all do almost only reviews, and at, at least in my RSS feeds. I don't know if there's another way to the other news. I I just quit paying attention to them because it was so frustrating. But it's like every single review is like a bad review. It's like they hated the film. It was a terrible film, and here's the reasons why it could have been better. And it's just like, come on, enough. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway. Uh, so the critics that aren't like that, every single one of them has given it a positive review, and it's certified fresh and uh, with good reason. Uh, Alfonso Quiron, uh, his Alfonso Quiron's Gravity is an eerie, tense sci-fi thriller that's masterfully directed and visually stunning. And the interesting thing about this film, Chad, is it stars only two people. Only two people get FaceTime in this film. Yep. Uh, there, there is a third actor that like has a very distant. I mean, we and probably what we saw of him was CG, frankly. Uh, but, but the two actors that we saw faces were Sandra Bullock and George Clooney. 
So why don't you tell us a little about the story here of this film? Okay. Gravity, directed by Oscar nominee Alfonso Cuaron, stars Oscar winner Sandra Bullock and George Clooney in a heart-pounding thriller that pulls you into the infinite and unforgiving realm of deep space. Bullock plays Dr. Ryan Stone, a brilliant medical engineer on her first shuttle mission with veteran astronaut Matt Kowalski. But on a seemingly routine spacewalk, disaster strikes. The shuttle's destroyed, leaving Stone and Kowalski completely alone. Yeah, and uh, I think in order to talk about this film, Chad, we're going to have to kind of break this into two sections. The not-spoiler section, where we can talk in general terms, but then in uh-huh. order to really dig into this film, we're going to have to talk about spoilers. So, oh, definitely. Let's let's first just talk in general terms, and I really have so very few bad things to say, and, and what I do have to say that's that, that I kind of had a problem with is going to be spoilery. So let's uh, let's focus on what kind of what we like and, and let's let's speak in broad terms without spoiling it just yet. OK, so what did you like about this film? Was there was there anything to like here, Chad? Oh, no, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, in fact, I don't think I really have anything that I disliked in this movie. Um, the acting was great, especially from Sandra Bullock. Um, you know, talking about this film with you uh, before uh, in the weeks uh, previous to now, um, I, I talked about how I was anxious to see Sandra Bullock returning to a more dramatic role rather than all the comedy and shtick she kind of normally does. Yeah, she's kinda, and it really yeah. pays off here. It, it was so she was so great, and uh, maybe an Oscar nomination. I, I don't know. We'll see. I'm going to be really disappointed if she does not get an Oscar nomination for her performance, and I'm going to be really disappointed if this film does not get an Oscar nomination for best uh, you know we haven't seen all the films this year and there are some coming out that look really good but i this this i mean this has to at least be a nominee you know i mean yeah, it is that I, good i think that both corone and the film will be nominated for best picture and director for sure yeah agreed i i and i'll like i said i'll be really disappointed uh, and and i will lose my all my faith in this system <laughs> if it doesn't <laughs> um yeah i mean it just yeah speaking of sandra bullock i mean she really nailed this role i mean i didn't see any of the sandra bullock that we've kind of come to know over the years there was no aspect of her personality from the rom-coms that she's been in there was none of that snarkiness i mean just none of i mean it was it was a complete transformation i mean i did not see Sandra Bullock in this role. I did not see um, Lucy from uh, when you were sleeping in this role. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, it, it was it was Dr. Ryan Stone, and that's who she was. And you know, yeah, it, it was a and it was an amazing performance. I mean, she, and and it was a really kind of when you think about it, a very kind of a delicate role. I think for her to play. I mean, you when I say delicate, I mean trying to find that right balance. I mean, she has to make us believe that in the end she's strong enough to do some of the things she has to do, but she also has to convey kind of how the film started that she's, this is her first time in space and she's jittery and she's sick and she doesn't want to be up here and, or kind of, she does and she doesn't. I mean, but you know, and then the, the, the fear and the terror when she's just kind of flung into the void of space. I mean, she does such a good job with all of that. Agreed. Yeah. Um, you have here that it's visually stunning. And, and this is kind of the interesting thing about this film. I mean, I never for a minute, my, my, my mind, of course, of course, knowing, you know, realistically that this film is probably 80%, 90% CGI. Like, 
That's how they created it. But the other part of my mind that was seeing things visually is going, how in the, I mean, what did they, how did they get those actors up into space and the camera? I mean, wow. I mean, it really made you feel like you were in space, you know? I mean, it really did. And I was skeptical because I, I didn't see this film until Monday night because I was traveling over the weekend and, of course, hearing all the buzz and the, wow, you know, make sure you see it on the biggest screen possible and you really feel like you're there. And I'm sitting there going, yeah, okay, it's me. All right. They were not kidding. They were not kidding. No, not at all. And uh, seeing it on the b- biggest screen possible really, I think, made made a huge difference. Yeah, everybody's kind of hyping up the 3D and like the 3D really, really pushes it over the edge and you just you feel like you're there. I didn't feel like the 3D was that big of a deal. I felt like what a, the big deal was was I saw it on a real IMAX screen, you know, right. that we have here in Nashville. And it was just the the largeness of the screen kind of engulfed you and yet there were i will say there were a couple of times when the 3d was made good use of but i overall i felt like the the big deal was seeing it on the imax agreed but i think we can both agree that the 3d doesn't take anything away from this film no and that's the first time i've ever been able to say that about a film is the 3d certainly did not distract me um and they didn't use cheap tricks you know like sometimes with 3d films you know they they love to throw stuff at you and make you jump that only yeah. happened like twice in this film, and it was legitimate. Like that worked well for what they were doing. <laughs> I, but then right. there was one time when this you know piece of huge chunk of debris is like flying right at you, and you know if you're not if you're kind of engrossed in the film, you forget it's 3D, and your body your reflexes take over, and you're like ducking in your seat, you know. <laughs> and uh, right. that that happened a couple of times in this film, and to good effect, I, I thought. Whereas most films, when they do that, I'm like, that was so cheap. Right. Yeah. Kids' movies, especially. Right. Yes. Yeah, uh, and yeah, so definitely, you know, make sure you see this one in the IMAX because that was quite something. It, it it's it's the best use of IMAX in that big screen that I've ever experienced by any stretch of the imagination. So, uh, what else have we got here? Um, um, what one of the discussions I think that would be interesting to have um, is is the question that's kind of come up that I've seen uh, kind of floating around is. Is this a science fiction film? Or, I mean, because there was very little about this film that wasn't plausible. And there were a couple of things. But most of this film could take place. Now, we don't have an active shuttle program right now. Right. So it kind of is fiction. But is it science fiction? Or is it reality fiction? Like, I I was a little like, which is it? I don't know. What what do you think? Uh, I don't... What would you say is included in science fiction i don't know i don't know i think science fiction i almost think aliens like that's the first thing that pops in my head if Uh, if there if it's science fiction it's aliens i don't think it has to science fiction has to deal with aliens Uh, let's see science fiction is a genre of fiction dealing with imaginative content such as futuristic settings futuristic science and technology space travel parallel universes extraterrestrial life and paranormal abilities Exploring the consequences of scientific innovations is one purpose of science fiction, making it a literature of ideas. Science fiction has been used by authors as a device to discuss philosophical ideas such as identity, desire, morality, and social structure. I'm leaning towards just fiction, not science fiction, uh, because this film I certainly has a huge scientific uh, kind of bent to it, but that doesn't make it science fiction. It doesn't make right, it sci-fi. Right. I don't think I would ever have categor- categorized it as science fiction either. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, because it's taking place in space, you know, and it's not something that's happened. You think sci-fi, but I don't think it is. And that, that's like been an interesting discussion to, to watch play out a little bit here and there. And some people are just, and I was kind of not quite sure where to put it either. And just thinking it through, I'm going to have to call it fiction. Right. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. Um, the the whole uh, and one of the things we need to talk about, Chad, is uh, this article that I put at the top here, where Alfonso Cuaron says studio wanted more flashback scenes from Mission Control and Gravity, and you know they. Uh, and they wanted, they kind of wanted the flashback scenes where uh, Doctor Stone talks about her daughter and how she was killed, and and they wanted to go and see what was going on in the rescue uh, attempts at at uh, Mission Control in in Houston and stuff. And uh, I'm really glad that Alfonso Cuaron was able to wield enough power to not let that happen. Me too. Because this, I, I, yeah, go ahead. I think that a huge part of what made this film so good is that it's so intimate. Um, in that you're spending the entire film with Sandra Bullock and her character. Um, it's you, her, and then everything, the, the emptiness of space. And flashing back, I think, would have distracted from that spectacle and from that feeling of intimacy. Even if you, even if we were getting glimpses back into her life, hearing her and being there uh, to hear her tell the story about her daughter and to tell about her life uh, back on earth and stuff like that was just so much more personal and uh, well, just, just more personal than it would have been if it had been told through flashback. Yeah. Well, I mean, and and it keeps you in the present and, and it's uh, you know, I think if they had done the flashback thing, it would have seemed very formulaic because as it is, this film, this film doesn't to me, I've heard some people say it is formulaic and I understand the reasons why, but to me it wasn't that formulaic because you did something very unique uh, in that you stayed with one character the entire time. Like, sure, we get to see uh, Kowalski, played by George Clooney, but we're almost always from the perspective in some ways of Dr. Stone, and certainly we never leave her. Like, she's always uh, our focus. Right. And to go and flash back would have seemed a little more formulaic, kind of breaking that mold, and, and it would have changed the tone of this film so much. Yeah, in the article that you linked to here in the outline, it also talks about, like, uh, oh, I guess that's spoilery. We'll, we'll get to that later. Sorry. Okay. All right. We'll save it for later then. Um, yeah. So speaking, you know, we, we should talk a little bit about George Clooney. I, I, I actually thought he was quite brilliant. I mean, as some people were talking about how, yeah, he's kind of the, the necessary, um, uh, comic relief here. Uh, and, and yet I found his character to be, uh, play a vital part in relieving the tension here and there. Yeah. Uh, And, and, and he did so, I think quite brilliantly with, he conveyed, I mean, this is kind of, uh, I, I don't know. I haven't seen Clooney in that much, but it seemed a little bit of an odd role for him, perhaps. Uh, I don't know. But, but anyway, he, he conveyed that sense of, uh, you know, like when he was joking around, it wasn't because he was like being glib or something. It was because he had the experience and he was diffusing the tension and he was keeping things, you know, uh, light and moving and, and trying to make a better working atmosphere. I mean, it just worked out. It worked really well. Right. In my review, I mentioned uh, that he, he carries the same sort of confidence that Clooney always has, but it doesn't feel like George Clooney being George Clooney. It, it, no. it, it It's comforting in the moment. And he's the voice of reason and the determination and the desperate situation. And I thought for those reasons that he was a very valuable, <clears throat> excuse me, a very valuable asset to the film. Yep. Yep. Agreed. 
Uh, well, I've been doing a lot of talking. What else have you got? Um, non-spoilery. Um, I'm trying to, th- Oh, the score is really good. Um, yes, it is. Something, something that I thought was uh, okay. I, I got the score two weeks before the film came out is when it was on iTunes. And, um, from the get go, it, it invokes this feeling of claustrophobia. Like, uh, there, there's no way out. Like you start listening to it and you're just absorbed into it and watching the film it's that feeling is magnified. And so having the score there in the background, it's very atmospheric. Um, it brings out that sort of feeling of claustrophobia and you're more immersed into the film for it. But then every once in a while you get this, uh, a a few instances of tonality where you do have a melody and it's pretty music and it's hopeful or, uh, reminiscent or mourning or whatever and then at the very end of the film it's triumphant and it's it's very well done and it's a very good score to listen to yeah i mean i think one of the points that i really uh kind of felt about the score was that it never made me feel something that i wasn't already feeling it really helped which i I really kind of hate it when a score kind of jerks you around and and at at worst it makes you feel manipulated no no at best at best when a score does that it makes you feel manipulated but at worst you just you kind of I mean, one of my examples is that horrible movie Aragon, um, <laughs> and I, I don't like the the musician, the the uh, composer for that uh, film. Anyway, um, uh, I'm trying to think of his name now. Uh, I'm looking it up. Yeah, you, you let me know, and you you know, I mean, I'll, uh, it's irritating. I know, I know who it is, and I hate his scores in general. He did the fourth <laughs> Harry Potter film as well. Oh, Patrick Doyle. Patrick Doyle. Yes, I cannot stand his film scores. But but he's okay. Uh, go ahead. I agree slightly. Well, I hated his score for Harry Potter. It's terrible. Um, it's terrible. But um, and I, I guess I, I I didn't care much for the one for Aragon, but I didn't like the film in well, general. Well, I mean, because like as the example that I'm alluding to here with Aragon, the music would begin to swell and and go all like you're supposed to have this feeling of I don't know triumph or something or just you know like the dragon has hatched and he's flying and, and you're going. Why is this music playing? I don't feel anything. I don't feel right. anything. I know what you're trying to make me feel, and it's not working. All I want to do is throw my TV in the river because I, I, I didn't watch the I didn't watch it in the in the theater. I watched it on my television set when I yeah. first saw it. Maybe that was the problem. I don't know. I just I hated that film so much, and I hated the score so much. But this so so in contrast, this film uh never made the, the score never made me feel anything that I wasn't already feeling. It did enhance it as a good score should. And it, it, it went along with it. I, I think visually and story wise, Alfonso Cuaron was already evoking the things that the score was bringing out. And I thought that was really good. What, although I will say also speaking of the sound design that, and, and the music that one of the things that they the, like the only time in fact that they really kind of set the mood and really made you feel something was at the very 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 beginning of the film before we even saw anything where you'll remember this the the music is like building to this huge crescendo as the opening scene credits are coming on and and then all of a sudden it smash cuts to silence right and you you literally i mean like and it had built like and there was hadn't anything even visually happened yet and Yet, you know, it had built this tension up just in the way the music was composed. And then it, when it cut to that sense, I mean, you could hear a pin drop in the theater. I mean, everybody was just like on the edge of their seats already. And then we're, you know, we're slowly pulling out from Earth and we start to s- quietly hear, you know, the chatter of the radio com. 
And then just right. throughout the whole film, like the only things that we ever hear other than the music were things were mostly things that we would only hear in really from the, from the chatter and the helmets and things like they were very, he was very deliberate. Like when, you know, when, when the air was being drained from a specific place, the air was gone. You couldn't hear anything because you, you couldn't, there's no atmosphere to convey the sound. I mean, it was right. very, very well done. It yeah, was a bold um, choice. And, it's another instance of silence being as important as the score itself. Agreed. And they, they utilize that silence very well. I mean, number one, it's in space and there is no sound. Um, and they, they made us painfully aware of that at times that there, there's nothing out here. There, there's no sound to comfort us or to scare us or anything. It's just, it's literally just you. And that, that adds to that feeling of claustrophobia a little bit. Yeah, yeah, agreed. And I think claustrophobia is the wrong word for me. I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to say what it made you feel. I, I felt terrified watching her being flung into the void and, and really just looking, you know, and sometimes, and we were seeing from her perspective often where she's flipping around and around and you see Earth receding in the distance and, and oh, it was terrifying, I mean, especially yeah. on the big screen. Uh, claustrophobia is not the right word, but... For me, anyway. But well, yeah. what the the claustrophobia for me comes from the feeling that she's stranded out there by herself. She's in her uh, suit, and she's got nowhere else to go. She can't propel herself anywhere this way. It is literally her in her suit, watching everything else happen around her. Yeah, and unable. There's nothing to grab onto. No way to steady herself. And, and you know, in space, momentum is pretty much infinite. And so she's she's spinning, and there's nothing she can do about it. She so she's hard to get her bearings. It's very disorienting. Yeah, I mean it was very terrifying. Like, <laughs> I, I you know I, I said in my review, I don't know about you, but I I never I, I even though I've always been fascinated by space and I've always loved sci-fi, I've never really wanted to go to space. And now I will. You couldn't pay me enough money to go to space. Like <laughs> you could offer me millions of dollars and i literally would turn it down like i'm sorry i would love to have a million dollars i would but no <laughs> no <Right. laughs> not if stuff like this can happen no well did it seem to you and i've noticed this before about spacesuits in movies and i don't know if this is the way spacesuits actually work i would assume so since they got so realistic about everything else but that suit seemed entirely too easy to take off once she was in the air pressure rise place like what if you accidentally hit that latch when you're out in space? Oh my goodness, no! <laughs> I, I didn't really notice that much, but I, you, you've got a point, I guess. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not interested in anything to do with that. I'll, I'll stay down here where we have atmosphere and air pressure, and it's fine and dandy down here. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, yeah, that was pretty uh, pretty scary. Um, let's see what else we have before we talk about spoiler stuff. I, I kind of wonder, Chad, about the rewatchability of this film. As much as I loved it, as great as this film was, my first thought is, well, if you rewatch it, it's going to be on your television, and that's going to suck. <laughs> I don't know. I guess if you had a big enough screen, it wouldn't be too big a deal. Yeah, well, my little 30-inch flat screen probably wouldn't cut it. I don't know. Yeah. I just feel like that this film is very invested in the large screen format. Yeah, I mean, that, that's true, and, and that is a lot of where the spectacle comes from is the bigger screen getting absorbed into uh, your, your field of vision is obscured by what you're watching. Yeah. Um, and so you wouldn't have that luxury at home. 
but it would be an entirely different experience and i just don't know like i want to when it comes out on dvd i'm certainly going to see and and see if it recreates that at all and my wife having not seen it she'll she'll be able to tell me how she felt about the film uh you know the, the other question about watchability is this film more than most is very much based on you being on the edge of your seat what's going to happen next and you don't know and once you've seen it i just wonder if seeing it again would be the same i almost wish that i could erase it from my mind and go watch it again <laughs> i don't know i mean i feel like i could uh, finish the podcast tonight and go to the theater and go watch it again and be just as satisfied as I was the first time. But you bring up a good point, whether it would be as absorbing um, outside of the theater format. Yeah. You you think though, even though the experience would be different that you would enjoy it. I think so for sure. But I've always been, uh, I know lots of people seem to have different opinions than me on rewatching movies. Um, I don't have like a set number of times per year that I watch a movie. If I feel like watching a movie, I'll pop it in and I'll watch the same film 10, 20 times a year. If that's, that's what it, what I, what I feel like watching at the time. Um, yeah. And I mean, and, in general, I agree with you, but it's just yeah. that this film feels different to me. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely couldn't see me watching it all the time, but I, I could see, like if I had a friend come over who notices it on the shelf and hasn't seen it, then I'd definitely pop it in. Yeah. Yeah. That, it'll be interesting. I will, I will definitely be interested to see what this thing actually looks like and feels like on my TV. And, and part of that I think is just because the bar has been set so high seeing it in IMAX, like how can, and how can a view a second viewing on a different smaller format ever live up to that ever again? And I don't, I don't have surround sound. I have star- little, Little stereo speakers, you know, that just, <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and, and it's not to say like the story's not good because when I'm big on story, as you know, Chad, and, and right. I think that the story here is really good. It's just that the story is very, very, very visual in, in, in a, in a very unique way. It is. And it, it's, it's minimal. So, um, looking away from the screen, you're, you're missing a lot because there's not a lot of dialogue to replace the visuals. Yeah, you know there there are some movies that you can just sort of put on in the background and enjoy, quote unquote, watching it while you do something else, but you still have the audio to rely on, and you have that to a sense here, but it's not as as much because it does rely so much on the visuals. Yep. Okay, do we have anything else before we want to talk about spoilers? I don't think so. Okay. Well, with that, then, we're going to move into spoiler territory. You, you, my dear audience, have been so warned. Uh, we're going to spoil the heck out of this film. Um, so, so let's talk about, let's get this out of the way. Basically, my, uh, I actually thought of another frustration after I wrote the review, but my main frustration is the hinge on which the plot turns in the middle, kind of in the middle of Act 2, um, and, and that is, as you know, Chad, but I'll explain, of course, for the audience, for our listeners, that, that Sandra Bullock is, and George Clooney have, have, at this point in the film, have tethered themselves together, and he has the only jetpack, and he's, they're making their way to the, uh, to the International Space Station. And, uh, which is, which is, I believe they even said it was like a hundred miles away. And so he's almost out of fuel for his jetpack, and they're tethered together and he's kind of pulling her and, uh, guiding her when needed because uh, of course, you know, they're tethered and, 
he does not have anything left in his jetpack to stop their approach. And so they're approaching the ISS very fast, and a, a very thin kind of object comes between them and cuts their tether. So he's drifting on out. She gets tangled uh, in some cables that are holding uh, the deceleration chute for one of their escape pod things. I can't remember what they called those things. Um, and she's tangled in that, and that stops her. Now, remember, they're in space. There is no gravity, and all there is is momentum. And once momentum is stopped, there's nothing more. Well, she is able to grab onto his the, what's left of his tether and almost losing him, but then stopping him. The issue that I have here, Chad, is that something, for some reason, he continues to tug. Like, And the whole point of the plot here is that she has to let him go. Like, he let, let you have to let go. You have to let go or you're going to die. I'm continuing to pull you. You have to let go. And then finally, you know what? The decision is not yours. I'm unlatching my, my thing. I'm unlatching the tether. And now I'm floating away. Why? Why, Chad? Why? <laughs> the, the, the momentum had been stopped. Why is he continu- Why is momentum continuing to carry him if it had been stopped? Do the, the, the simple physics. <laughs> I understand your frustration, TJ, but it doesn't bother me the same way. In fact, I mean, I don't know. Is there some logic to this? If, if she pulled on it, would there be any force in the opposite direction in resistance? No. No, not at all. And they'd shown earlier and several times throughout different parts of the film that that was the case. That, that you know, and this is the way motion works when there's no, you know, in space there's no gravity. And so momentum will carry you. But once once momentum is stopped or, you know, started in the other direction, then you continue on in the other direction. And, and like, you know, they, they so they showed that and were consistent with it up until this point. And it's just like, this is this way because it has to be this way for our plot. Yeah. I don't know, yeah. and, and my my other frustration is she. He kept saying, "You you will survive better without me." La da 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 da. And I'm sitting there going, "He's the experienced astronaut. He has the experience necessary to pilot the thing, and she doesn't. And she's losing consciousness because of her oxygen supply. No, she is not in any way better off without you." <laughs> I, I understand your frustration, TJ. Yeah. Again, it's only this way because the story needs for it to be this way. And that's sloppy writing. That's just sloppy writing. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it, it doesn't bother me. I, I understand the necessity for it, for the growth of her character and for the advancement of the story. And while it may be uh, a technical inaccuracy, I, I don't think it, for me, it doesn't detract from the film. Not, it, well, I wouldn't say that it detracts from the film too much. I mean, ultimately, for me, it, it costed a half a star in my uh, otherwise perfect score. Um, oh. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I, I was that irritated with it. And and if, if you're going to get everything else about the film right, why would you make such an important hinge so irritatingly bad? I don't know. I, I mean, and, and it took me out of the film even because I'm sitting here going, why is he still – why is there still tension on that thing? Why is it still tugging? Why is she still struggling to hang on? The momentum has been stopped. What's going on? Uh, I will say there was another part of the film that I was prepared to be extremely irritated about, and it turned out okay. And since we're in spoiler territory, we can talk about this. And that's when Clooney comes and opens up the uh, airlock and lets himself in while she's not wearing a helmet which turns out to be just a dream sequence. Right. Which, so I'm like, oh, yes, finally, somebody who's not going to say, oh, you can, humans can survive extended, you know, exposure to vacuum. 
because <laughs> you can't. <laughs> you cannot do <laughs> <Right>. that. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, what what it's are only you, a dream? Yeah, it was only a dream, and that was good. Uh, okay, one more thing, and then I'll I'll let you do some talking, Chad. Okay. This this one is minor, but it is something I thought about after I wrote my review, and that is that is it is it a little odd that everybody else in space had time to abandon their posts and get back to Earth? Like the International Space Station is is abandoned, the Chinese Space Station is abandoned. everyone else had time to get out of there, but they you know our our protagonist didn't. I mean, yeah. what's 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 going uh, on with that? I don't know. Did they they were obviously not outside at the time. I don't know how how much that would have sped up escape or not yeah, maybe i i suppose that kind of works because that's true like yeah. what what caught them was they were they were trying to secure things and get back in and you know and and of course the the debris tore them to pieces before they could so right. I, yeah i suppose that could be it I, I i'll let that go like i said it was a minor annoyance as i thought <laughs> about it okay, okay. What, what have you got for spoilers um i really liked the perspective shifts of the camera um mm, yes there the First real huge example of this is when she's floating out in space by herself and the camera zooms in sort of on her and you hear everything uh, that's happening inside her helmet and you, you're looking at her face and then the camera rotates and all of a sudden you're inside her helmet with her looking out. Yes. And uh, you're, I mean, it's like you are her there for a moment. That was phenomenal. And it's phenomenal. this really powerful uh, camera shift and then all of a sudden you shift back out and you're looking at her again and there there are several little instances of that throughout the film that are really really well done yeah it was all very smooth and deliberate and not no shaky cam i, I loved it and, and <laughs> man it was it was impressive i mean the extremely long takes oh yeah i mean the, the, i i think i heard somebody say i wasn't sure how long that uh, that first camera shot was that opens the film like but i heard somebody say it was over 12 minutes that before there was a cut I don't know about that. I just wow. know that it was like, if you think about, think back to having watched the film, that camera pulling out from Earth and then it reveals the shuttle and then we kind of sweep into the shuttle and, and we're just, we're, it's all a one continuous fluid camera shot. And, and what it took to make that happen, I have no idea. I mean, because there's know. lots of moving parts there. It was, it was impressive. And what was even more impressive was, I don't consciously, you know, typically cuts would then stand out because when they do cut, oh, wow, they cut the film. They hadn't had any cuts yet. And and they didn't stand out. Like, I couldn't tell you where the first cut in the film was because it was that buttery smooth. Yeah. And um, something uh, else in that camera in that very first scene, the way it sort of just floated around the the ISS or wherever they were doing repairs. Hubble. Um, the, yeah, the Hubble, the telescope. That's right. Um, the, it was floating around like I mean, it, it really sort of conveyed that zero gravity feeling. It wasn't stationary. It wasn't locked in place, staring at the same spot. It was floating around. It was a part of the movement of uh, the astronauts, and it was it was smooth there too. It was part of that single take. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it was pretty impressive. So, since we're talking spoilers, how did you feel about the end of this film? I mean, because because again, the only characters, and I, I wasn't even, I wasn't sure having only ever seen two two people in this film thus far. When we got to the end, were we gonna see people rescuing her? I mean, how is that gonna work out? And and we never saw anybody else. I mean, how'd you, how what did you think about that? I thought it was really powerful. I think you know I've seen a couple people make jokes about the title of the film about how. A movie with no gravity is titled Gravity. <laughs> I thought um, it was ironic, but yeah. Uh, it is, but I think that the whole point is that she's struggling to get back to gravity. She's struggling to get back home where sure. 
there is gravity and that ending scene is the the ultimate goal realized of that where she's back on earth and as she takes her first step um the track gravity from the soundtrack is playing and it's really triumphant music and you've got this solo voice that's just singing out and oh it it was so cool yeah it was pretty cool and i I actually have heard people uh, talking about how it symbolizes like a rebirth and stuff or emerging from the capsule and taking our first step and i I, yeah i suppose that symbolism is all there but i I just thought in general that it was a powerful way to end the film i I really you know to to have gone any further would have taken away some of the magic from the film and to do any less would have been frustrating so i I felt like it hit just the right note yeah it's very satisfying it's a it's a satisfying ending yeah agreed let's see um trying to think of what else uh we should talk about because there's so much we could talk about i mean you know the whole thing where she nearly commits suicide and and the whole idea that her her subconscious creates the character that she needed that she really knew the answer anyway and you know i mean there's just Uh so much there um I was a little irritated at her for almost committing suicide, I will admit that. Like, oh, come on, you've come this far, and I'm sitting here waiting for you to get out of this situation. You know, I was <laughs> l- literally like, no, come on, do do not do this. Right. Uh, uh, it, it's almost, uh, I'm trying to think of the words to, to say it. It's it's the a celebration of the human spirit. Like, she she has the will to live. And uh, she overcomes her uh, willingness to die to continue to live. It's it's in, it's inspiring. Yeah, yeah. She's no, always I, fighting for survival. Yep, I agree. Uh, you had something that you were you started to go into in regards to the uh, article, and and uh, oh, and then you didn't because it was spoilery. What was that? Um, it, in that article talking about stuff the studio wanted to put in that Quaron told him not. Um, there, there was talk of a rescue helicopter that she would come and rescue her and, uh, a love of a, a romantic relationship with the mission control commander who's in love with her and Ugh, that would stuff have been like terrible. that. It would have been awful. Yeah. And, and, and again, I think that would have added to the runtime of the film, which I, again, I was very, uh, happy with the runtime of the film. It didn't feel long and it didn't feel short. It felt just right. And so many films ha- feel like they have to pad their runtime in order to get it up to that two hour mark when they would have been better off as hour and a half films. Right. You know, they, they want, it, I, I guess they want people to feel like they've gotten their money's worth and go, they, they go to see a two hour film or something, but I don't feel that way. No. And I think a lot of times pe- the studios may think that, but people walk away from their films thinking, man, that was such a long movie. Why did I go to that? Yeah. Um, uh, and that definitely wasn't the case here. It, it was just the right amount of suspense to keep you occupied the entire time. Um, and you didn't need more. Like, I, I mean, the, the ending is satisfying in both the realization of uh, she, she has survived this ordeal, um, but also that it it didn't take us two and a half hours to get there. Yeah, agreed. Um, I have uh, one other thing I want to talk about, but do you have anything you want to talk about? I just wanted to mention one more uh, cameras, uh, camera work thing that I noticed really strongly while watching. Um, is the first time we see the character Sharma. He's the third guy who's outside the telescope with Clooney and Bullock. Oh, yeah, the one um, who we see the body, you know, probably CGI, but never see his face. Right. And the first time we see his face is on the family photo 
that is attached to his suit. No, oh, yeah, I guess technically we did. S- yeah, 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 we technically yeah. did see his face, and it's side by side with his uh, what's left of his actual face because the shrapnel has gone through it. Right, and I thought that was one of the p- most powerful shots of the film. Yeah, maybe, and he and he didn't spend like a lot of time like, and it wasn't like. Uh, a thing where you're like supposed to be you know in one sense you are horrified and terrified but it wasn't like cut in such a way or presented in such a way to like overstimulate your horror sensibilities it was just this is what right. happened and you know you, you of course obviously dr stone is struggling with this because they're like retrieving the body and you know it, yeah it, it, you're right it was very powerful and and i forgot technically we did see his face because he it was of the picture that he was carrying right but, which, which, you know, <laughs> you could, I suppose that was a little unrealistic. Like, seriously, he actually had a picture of his family, like, attached to the outside of his suit? Hmm. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. So, anyway, the, other, the only other thing that I have is uh, this article that I posted earlier today. Uh, no, yesterday. Um, and I don't know how to say this guy's name. Neil deGrasse? Neil deGrasse? Neil deGrasse? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yeah. And he's kind of a well-known science dude. And and, and Buzz Aldrin, they, both of them weigh in on uh, on this film. Now, Buzz Aldrin, of course, has been to space, and he knows uh, what things look like. And he was impressed. He says, I was so extravagant, uh, extravagantly impressed by the portrayal of the reality of zero gravity. Going through the space station was done just the way I would have seen people do it in reality. So that's, I mean, that's kind of a testament to just how realistic the film was. Uh Uh, Oh, but oh, I forgot. Speaking of of uh, going through the space station in zero gravity, I remember uh, thinking when she uh, whizzed by, and then the camera kind of lingered just for a split second on the sparking fire. I thought that's going to be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> right. And she didn't pay it any attention. Uh, anyway, I had forgotten about that. I meant to mention that earlier. So uh, ne- better late than never. And okay. So then moving on to Neil deGrasse Titan uh, Tyson. Uh, he says, um, Oh, uh, before I do that, uh, Buzz Aldrin did, did have a criticism. I, I lost my train of thought when I did the fire thing. Uh, this movie gave great clarity to looking down and seeing the f- features of Earth, but they weren't. But there weren't enough clouds, and maybe there was too precise a delineation from space. If you're looking down at Earth, you're looking through an atmosphere that has a bit of a haze in many places, and not just occasional clouds. Which is interesting that he says that because I thought there was lots of clouds. I guess he didn't see enough clouds. I, I thought they presented a lot of clouds on Earth, but yeah. I don't know. He's he's the one that's been up there. He should know. Uh, there, there. I have to say, I did say earlier I, I would never go up. There is a part of me that would kind of like to go up and see. Like if if somehow ever felt like it could be really extremely safe, I would love to kind of go up and and just look back at, at Earth because it, it you know it's certainly portrayed beautifully and people who've been there say it's beautiful. Right. Anyway. Anyway. So Neil deGrasse Titan, noted astrophysicist. Um, he had a lot more criticism for the film. Uh, which he shared with happily via his Twitter account. Um, you know, of course, I, I think ultimately he said that he really liked the film, and that's why he was engaging with it. But uh, so he did like this Mysteries of Gravity series, uh, uh-huh. where he says Mysteries of Gravity: Why Bullock, a medical doctor, is servicing the Hubble telescope. <laughs> Mysteries of Gravity: How Hubble, three hundred fifty miles up, ISS, two hundred thirty miles up, and a Chinese space station are all in uh, sight lines of one another. <laughs> mysteries of gravity when Clooney releases Bullock's tether he drifts away in zero G a single tug brings them together that's and that was essentially my complaint by the way of of that yeah. scene uh, mysteries of gravity why Bullock's hair in otherwise convincing zero G scenes did not float freely on her head 
Ah, uh, mysteries. I didn't notice that. Yeah, but. I didn't notice it in the film. Now that he says it, I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> mysteries of gravity. Nearly all satellites orbit Earth west to east, yet all satellite debris portrayed orbited east to west. I would not have noticed that. <laughs> nope. <laughs> uh, mysteries of gravity. Satellite communications were disrupted at 230 miles up, but communications satellites orbit 100 times higher. Hmm. <laughs> you know. Mysteries yeah. of gravity. Astronaut Clooney informs medical doctor Bullock what happens medically during oxygen deprivation. <laughs> uh and then he did wrap up and say he still loved the film. He says, my tweets hardly ever convey opinion, mostly perspectives. But if you must know, I enjoy gravity very much. So uh, he spent a lot of time heavily critiquing it, but ultimately enjoyed it. And that's kind of the way I feel, despite the fact that I had those minor little problems and one major problem. Uh, I feel like the film is a um, – it's kind of a defining film, I think, for our time, certainly of this year. Uh, it's yeah. it's it's a major milestone. It's a major move forward in uh, technology. I mean, uh, my understanding is that um, th- th- like they like eighty percent of this film is complete CGI, and but but it didn't feel like it. Like it didn't look like it, and that's the first time I think that I've ever seen that degree of CGI where I didn't immediately my eyes didn't cry out. Oh, that's CGI. Uh huh. Yeah. So, so essentially, uh, what I'm saying is that the film uh, was almost a five star film. I give it four and a half out of five stars, and I highly recommend it. If you know, if you haven't seen this film, you need to get yourself out to the theater and see this film. It is amazing. Yes. That's that's my wrap up. That's pretty much mine too. I, I give it five out of five stars because even though it does have a tiny couple of flaws here and there. Um, I think that it's pretty darn close to perfect. Um, and I really, really enjoyed it. Okay. All right. Well, um, so that kind of, I think wraps up our review of gravity. We're at an hour one. I'd been talking about keeping the shows under an hour. So there you go. We're, we're, we need to go ahead and cut it off here. Um, interestingly, I haven't decided yet, even though I have this scheduled in uh, Trello, I'm rethinking, uh, how we're going to do this. Um, uh, actually, I don't have a schedule set on it. I have The Fifth Estate and Captain Phillips lifted, li- listed, both of which I'm very interested in, both of which are coming out next week. Which mm-hmm. one should we do next week? I really want to see Captain Phillips. Yeah, I'm thinking Captain Phillips out of those two. All right, I'm moving it up right now to the top position, and I'll go ahead and, and set that in the schedule as soon as we get done here. All right, so next week, then, we're going to talk about Captain Phillips. Great. Um, and that film looks possibly like another Oscar contender to me. Maybe. I haven't seen it yet, so I don't know. But I certainly feel like maybe that's the angle they were going for. I think um, so. And, yeah, it looks like a really good film, a really good realistic and you know real-life, uh, true-to-life drama because it's based on a true story. I mean, obviously, any story is going to take some liberties. So uh, right. that's going to be a good one. Uh, make sure you check that out. We'll talk about that next week. Chad. Where may people keep up with you? I write my personal movie reviews over at chadlikesmovies.com. You can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash chad.hopkins and on Twitter at twitter.com slash chadadada, C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. All right. Did you get that right? (laughs) I think so. (laughs) Okay. All right. And, of course, you can uh, keep up with my work over at moviebyte.com. I write there uh, at least a little something every day. Sometimes I write big, massive reviews like the one on Gravity. Sometimes I just post a few links and have commentary. Uh, 
but it's always a lot of fun. So check out moviebyte.com, M-O-V-I-E-B-Y-T-E.com. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I am TJ Draper Pro over there. Uh, that's the best place to keep up with me and uh, my pithy remarks and, and wit uh, and things like that. If you can put up with me, that's where I'm at. Um, additionally, if you'd like to find show notes for this episode, you can do that at moviebyte.com slash mbpodcast slash 64. This is our 64th episode. That's where you'll find the show notes for this episode. Uh, be sure to leave us a, a review and a rating in iTunes if you enjoy the show. That'll help us get noticed and uh, help keep the show uh, going. Uh, so we'd appreciate that very much. With that, we're out of here. We'll see you next week to talk about Captain Phillips. Bye.